Chapter 10 of Grace Harlowe's Sophomore Year at High School. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Christine Blashford. Grace Harlowe's Sophomore Year at High School by Jesse Graham Flower. Chapter 10. The Sophomore Ball. It was the night of the sophomore ball. For a week past, the class had been making preparations. The gymnasium had been transformed into a veritable bower of beauty. Every palm in Oakdale that could be begged, borrowed, or rented was used for the occasion. Drawing-rooms had been robbed of their prettiest sofa-cushions and hangings to make attractive cosy corners in the big room. The walls were decorated with evergreens and class banners, while the class colours, red and gold, were everywhere in evidence. The sophomores had been recklessly extravagant in the matter of cut flowers, and bowls of red roses and carnations ornamented the various tables, loaned by fond mothers for the gratification of sophomore vanity. The girls had worked hard to outdo previous sophomore affairs, and when all was finished the various teachers who were invited to view the general effect were unanimous in their admiration. Once a year each of the four high school classes gave some sort of entertainment. Readers of Grace Harlow's plebe year will remember the masquerade ball given by the sophomores, now juniors, and the active part taken by Grace and her chums in that festivity. The present sophomores had decided to make their ball a larger affair than usual and had sent out invitations to favoured members of the other classes. An equal number of boys had been invited from the boys' high school and the party promised to be one of the social events of Oakdale. Mrs. Gray and a number of other prominent women of Oakdale were to act as patronesses. Mrs. Harlow, usually a favourite chaperone with Grace's crowd, had been ignored for the first time and Grace was cut to the quick over it. As for Grace herself, she had not been appointed to a single committee. Prominent heretofore in every school enterprise, it was galling to the high-spirited girl to be deliberately left out of the preparations. Nora had been asked to help receive, and Jessica had been appointed to the refreshment committee, but on finding that Grace was being snubbed, both had coldly declined to serve in either capacity. The four chums held more than one anxious discussion as to the advisability of even attending the ball. "'I think we ought to go, just to show those girls that we are impervious to their petty insults,' declared Grace. "'We have as much right there as anyone else, and I am sure the boys we know will dance with us, whether the rest of the girls like it or not. Besides, Mrs. Gray will be there, and she will expect to see us. She doesn't know anything about this trouble, and I don't want her to know. It would only grieve her. She is so fond of Anne. By all means, we must go to the ball. Wear your prettiest gowns and act as though nothing had happened.' That night, the four young girls in their party finery sat waiting in the Harlow's drawing-room for their escorts, David, Hippy, and Reddy. Anne wore the pink crepe de chine which had done duty at Mrs. Gray's house-party the previous winter. Grace wore an exquisite gown of pale blue silk made in a simple girlish fashion that set her off to perfection. Nora was gowned in lavender and wore a corsage bouquet of violets that had mysteriously arrived that afternoon and that everyone present suspected Hippy of sending. Jessica's gown was of white organdy, trimmed with tiny butterfly medallions and Valenciennes lace. In spite of the possibility that she and Anne might be the subject of unpleasant comment, Grace made up her mind to enjoy herself. She was fond of dancing, and knew that she would have plenty of invitations to do so. David would look after Anne, who was not yet proficient enough in dancing, to venture to try it in public. If only Miriam and Julia Crosby behave themselves, she thought, for of course Julia will be there. Miriam will see that she gets an invitation. Grace thrilled with pride as she entered the gymnasium. How beautifully it had been decorated, and how well everything looked. She was so sorry that the girls had seen fit to leave her out of it all. Then she remembered her resolution to forget all differences and just have a good time. Miriam, gowned in apricot messaline trimmed with silver, was in the receiving line with half a dozen other sophomores. Grace and her party would be obliged to exchange civilities with the enemy. She wondered what Miriam would do. 
David solved this problem for her by taking charge of the situation. Walking straight up to Miriam, he said a few words to her in a low tone. She flushed slightly, looked a trifle defiant, then greeted the girls coldly but with civility. The other sophomores followed her example, but Grace breathed a sigh of relief as they walked over to where Mrs. Gray, in a wonderful black satin gown, sat among the patronesses. "'My dear children, I am so glad to see all of you,' exclaimed the sprightly old lady. "'How fine all my girls look! You are like a bouquet of flowers. Grace is a bluebell, Anne is a dear little clove pink, Nora is a whole bunch of violets, and Jessica looks like a white narcissus.' "'Where do we come in?' asked David, smiling at Mrs. Gray's pretty comparison. "'Allow me to answer that question,' said Hippy. "'You are like the tall and graceful burdock. Reddy resembles the common but much-admired sheep-sorrel, while I am like that tender little flower, the forget-me-not. Having once seen me, is it possible to forget me?' He struck an attitude and looked languishingly at Nora. "'I'll forget you forever if you look at me like that,' threatened Nora. "'Never again,' said Hippy hastily. "'Bear witness, all of you, that my expression has changed.' Just then the first notes of the waltz Amarus rang out, and the gymnasium floor was soon filled with high school boys and girls dressed in their best party attire. The dancers followed each other in rapid succession until supper was announced. This was served at small tables by the town caterer. Mrs. Gray and her adopted children occupied two tables near together and had a merry time. Many curious glances were cast in their direction by the other members of the sophomore class. Some of the girls wondered whether it was a good thing to cut Anne Pearson's acquaintance. She was certainly a friend of Mrs. Gray, and Mrs. Gray was one of the most influential women in Oakdale. Frances Fuller, a worldly-minded sophomore, dared to intimate as much to Miriam Nesbitt, who replied loftily, "'If Mrs. Gray knew as much about Miss Pearson as we do, she would probably not care for her any longer.' "'It's a pity someone doesn't tell her,' said Julia Crosby, ever ready for mischief." "'Oh, someone will have the courage yet,' answered Miriam, "'and when she does, that will end everything as far as Miss Pearson is concerned. "'Mrs. Gray can't endure anything dishonourable.' Just then a young man claimed Miriam for the two-step about to begin, and Julia wandered off, leaving Frances to digest what had been said. The more the latter thought about it, the more she felt that Mrs. Gray ought to be warned against Anne. She decided that she had the courage, that it was her duty to do so. Without hesitating, she blundered over to where Mrs. Gray sat for the moment— "'Mrs. Gray,' Frances began, "'I want to tell you something which I think you ought to know.' "'And what is that, my dear?' asked the old lady courteously, trying vainly to remember the girl's face. "'Why, about Miss Pearson's true character,' replied the girl. "'Miss Pearson's true character,' repeated Mrs. Gray. "'I don't understand what you mean.' "'That she is dishonourable and treacherous. She betrayed the sophomore basketball signals to the juniors, and then denied it when her class had positive proof against her.' Besides, her father is a disreputable actor, and she was an actress before she came here. We thought if you knew the truth, you wouldn't uphold any such person. Frances paused. She thought she had made an impression upon her listener. Mrs. Gray sat silent. She was too deeply incensed to trust herself to speak. Frances looked complacent. She evidently hoped to be commended for her plain speaking. Then Mrs. Gray found her voice. "'Young woman,' she said, "'you ought to be ashamed of yourself.' "'What can you hope to gain by saying unkind things about a nice, gentle little girl "'who is in every respect worthy of all the love and regard that can be given her? "'I do not know what you can be thinking of to speak so slightingly of one of your classmates, "'and I am sorry to be obliged to remind you that it is the height of ill-breeding "'to abuse a person to his or her friends.' "'With these words, Mrs. Gray turned her back squarely upon the dazed girl, "'who slowly arose and, without looking at Mrs. Gray, walked dejectedly across the room.' but Miriam Nesbitt lost one supporter from that minute on. 
"'Hateful things,' said the mortified Francis, looking towards Julia and Miriam. "'I believe they are more to blame than Miss Pearson ever thought of being.' When Grace paused at Mrs. Gray's side after the two-step, she saw plainly that the old lady was much agitated. "'Grace,' she said quickly, "'what is all this nonsense about Anne?' "'Oh, Mrs. Gray,' cried Grace, "'who could have been so unkind as to tell you? We didn't want you to know. It is all so foolish.' "'But I want to know,' said the old lady positively. "'Anne is so very dear to me, and I can't allow these hair-brained girls to make damaging statements about her. Tell me at once, Grace.' Grace reluctantly gave a brief account of her recent disagreement with her class, and the unpleasantness to which Anne had been subjected. "'What does ail Miriam Nesbit? She used to be such a nice child!' exclaimed Mrs. Gray. "'Really, Grace, I feel that I ought to go straight to Miss Thompson with this.' Grace's heart sank. That was just what she did not want Mrs. Gray to do. "'Dear Mrs. Gray,' she said, patting the old lady's hand, "'it is better for us to fight it out by ourselves. If Miss Thompson knew all that had happened, she would forbid basketball for the rest of the season.' She is awfully opposed to anything of that kind, and would champion Anne's cause to the end, but Anne would rather let matters stand the way they are than lose us our basketball privilege. You see, the juniors have won the first game, and if basketball were stopped now, we would have no chance to make up our lost ground. I firmly believe that all will come right in the end, and I think the girls will get tired of their grudge and gradually drop it. Of course it hurts to be snubbed, but I guess we can stand it. We have some friends who are loyal at any rate." "'I suppose you are right, my dear,' responded the old lady. "'It is better for old folks to keep their fingers out of young folks' pies. "'But what did that pert miss mean about Anne's father being an actor? "'I had an idea he was dead.' "'So Grace told Mrs. Gray the story of Anne's father, "'beginning from where he had intercepted Anne on her way "'from the aeroplane exhibition during her freshman year "'up to the time of the arrival of his letter begging for money.' Anne used her freshman prize money last year to help him out of trouble. He forged a friend's name for one hundred dollars, and would have had to go to prison had she not made good the money he took. I always wanted you to know about it, Mrs. Gray, but Anne felt so badly over it. She begged me never to tell anyone. "'Your story explains a great many things I never before understood,' said Mrs. Gray. "'That doll that was sent to the Christmas party last year, for instance. But how did Miriam find out about it?' "'We don't know,' said Grace. "'Her doings are dark and mysterious.' "'Find out she did, and she has told the story with considerable effect among the girls. "'It is too bad,' mused Mrs. Gray. "'I should like to write matters were it possible, but as long as you don't wish it, my dear, "'I suppose I must let you fight it out by yourselves. "'But one thing I am sure of, Anne will never want for a friend as long as I live. "'Now run along and have a good time. I've kept you here when you might have been dancing.' "'I have loved being with you,' said Grace. "'I shall not tell Anne about what was said,' she added in a lower tone." "'That is right, Grace,' responded Mrs. Gray. "'No need of hurting the child's feelings.' During the balance of the evening, nothing occurred to discomfort either Grace or Anne. To be sure, there was a marked coolness exhibited by most of their classmates, but David took charge of Anne and saw to it that nothing disturbed her. Grace, who was a general favourite with the high school boys of Oakdale, could have filled her programme three times over. She was the embodiment of life and danced with such apparent unconcern that the mind of more than one sophomore was divided as to whether to cleave to Miriam or renew their former allegiance to Grace. It was well after one o'clock when the Home Sweet Home waltz sounded. The floor was well filled with dancers, for the majority of the guests had remained until the end of the ball. As the last strains of the music died away, the sophomores sent their class yell echoing through the gymnasium. It was answered by the various yells of the other classes, given with true high school fervour, each class trying to outdo the other in the making of noise. Sleepy chaperones began gathering up their charges. The sophomore ball was a thing of the past. "'These late hours and indigestible suppers are bound to break down my delicate constitution yet,' Hippy confided to Nora. 
"'In that case I shall make it a point to see that you don't receive any more invitations to our parties,' Nora answered cruelly. "'Then you can stay at home and build up that precious health of yours.' "'Don't mention it,' replied Hippy hastily. "'I would rather become an emaciated wreck than deprive myself of your society.' "'It was simply glorious,' said Anne to Grace, as they stood waiting for their carriage. "'And was there ever such a nice boy as David?' Grace pressed Anne's hand by way of answer. She knew that David had understood the situation and had taken care to steer Anne clear of shoals, and Grace determined that no matter what Miriam might say or do in the future, for David's sake it should be overlooked. End of chapter 10